Squaw Valley was named in the summer of 1852 by members of an immigrant train who uh, camped in the valley before going over the immigrant road. Included in the group was a young man described as being, quote, wild, reckless, and dissolute, belonging to that class of human beings who think bravery and courage lie in feats of treachery and foolhardiness. Uh, he had vowed to kill the first Indian he came upon, and on the site of Squaw Valley, he saw a squaw whom he brazenly shot through the head. Ugh, and so that's another origin story. And that one actually goes back to 1859. And when you think of the whole context, it really makes you question, is it really an honorific? Was it really named in honor of the women who were there? Clearly it was not. Yeah, that's a fantasy. Welcome to the storm. I'm your host, Stuart Winchester. Back to it. Took August off from the pod, but I've got ski season on my mind, and I'm going full tilt into the fall. I'll lay that lineup out for you at the end of the episode. For now, a reminder to subscribe to the free Storm Skiing newsletter at skiing.substack.com. Episode 21, Ron Cohen, President and Chief Operating Officer of Squaw Valley Alpine Meadows. It's official. One of the most high-profile mountains in North American skiing is changing its name. Last week, Squaw Valley Alpine Meadows announced that it would drop the word Squaw from its name prior to the 2021-22 to ski season. The resort is going to have a whole new, yet-to-be-determined name. The reason? The word is considered a slur by many Native Americans, and it just doesn't fit the brand in a 2020 world in which we're undergoing a national exercise in listening to other points of view. A lot of you have strong feelings about the change. You don't think it's an offensive word. You love the ski area. You associate it with the Olympics, with badass free skiers, with roof-high snowstorms, with skiing on the 4th of July. You take this personally, and you think the ski area is ripping something from you. A lot of you feel strongly the other way, that this is a welcome change, and the ski area will be rad no matter what it's called. Some of you think the change took too long. Today, we're gonna hear from the man who runs the mountain we're going to talk through all of this. Whatever side you're on, hear him out. He did a ton of research going into this, and some of the things he comes out with are pretty shocking. The past is not always a pretty place. Let's hear it. My guest today is the president and chief operating officer at Squaw Valley Alpine Meadows. Prior to taking the top job at the resort, he spent time as deputy general counsel at Altera Mountain Company, and before that, chief administrative officer and general counsel at Mammoth Mountain. Ron Cohen is my guest. Ron, thank you so much for joining us. Hey, thanks for having me. So first of all, Ron, it's been a very strange six months. You had to shut the resort abruptly on March 14th, and now you're getting ready for what is surely going to be the weirdest ski season any of us have ever experienced. How have you and your family been holding up during this very unusual time? You know, um, we've been we've been good. I, I mean, I, I think uh, my wife is a... Uh, is on the the county board of supervisors, so she's an elected official, and um, and the the board seat um, rotates annually, and so um, and she was the board chair this year, and so uh, you know for both of us we've been fully engaged in running the respective stuff that we run, and um, and that's been a ton of time and effort, and so it really 
does, uh, you know, drain you um, energy and emotion-wise. It's a lot of work to do for both of us in dealing with, with you know, pretty large organizations. But, um, you know, we we get to see each other a lot and uh, and spend time together, and so that's been um, that's been good. And all in all, we've we've been able to you know maintain a balance throughout the period. Well, you've certainly had no shortage of things to do this summer, uh, including last week Squaw Valley Alpine Meadows announcing that the mountain would officially change its name next year and remove the word squaw. Uh, this is something that the resort has considered off and on for more than a decade. Uh, why did you decide to change the name, Ron? Well, you know, we we concluded that that the word itself is offensive and derogatory, and so um, you know that's been an issue that's been out there for years. And um, we went through a a very thorough process to understand um, the issue completely, and uh, and then we made a decision that uh, we didn't want our name to continue going forward with uh, being something that is viewed by so many people as offensive and derogatory. Can you take us through that process a little bit from the time that you reached out to the main stakeholders to the time that you made the announcement last week? Who was involved? Uh, what was involved? How did that conversation go? Yeah, long, long uh, story. So happy to take you through it. Um, we, uh, we were, uh, uh, you know, something that, that's sort of been persistently low level issue, um, throughout the two and a half years that, um, that I've been at Squaw Alpine. So, um, you know, that, uh, that's something that, that we get emails on, calls, people ask us. And so there's, there's sort of always this, issue going on somebody or or other is putting it in front of us you know what what about your name what about this word and so um you know it's something that we had talked about internally in my leadership team for for a while and uh tried to understand a, a little bit about but hadn't taken action on um you know as we got into uh the the sort of national reckoning that was going on around racial justice and ra- race relations that um that followed from the George Floyd murder we we really thought uh, a lot more um about the issue of course we were all um you know meeting on uh on on virtual meetings uh, not in person but we were having meetings all the time and and talking a lot about stuff and and just as you know like everyone else in the country we were really um you know very heavily affected by what was going on it 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 was something that really shook you and your beliefs and so this issue that we'd sort of persistently been talking about really started to come to the forefront for us um you know what as people reach out to us and say you know how, how do you go forward with that name um, you know, we have to be uh, a little. We have to be reflective on that and say, well, you know, is that that that's a good question. We should probably know more about that. And so, um, you know, we were in that process in um, at at that time, and um, we we got a call from uh, from a newspaper, and and the reporter asked us. Um, so I'm doing a, an article on the slur in your name. Um, do you want to comment? Mm-hmm. <laughs> we, of course, we want to comment. Um, right. you know, how can you not comment? And, right. And so we we you know we took that reporter's call and and the question that the reporter asked was um, you know have you ever considered changing it and uh, you know have you ever talked about changing it 
in our uh, we just answered honestly yeah we're, we're we have and, and and we're talking about it internally now um you know how could you not uh, uh have that uh, be put in front of you when you're um w- w- when you're seeing everything that's going on uh you know it kind of be sort of disregard of of reality to not think about that and not actually have a conversation or more about it so we just answered honestly and 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 that ended up uh becoming um an article that got published that kicked off a bunch of inquiry and um you know it was about the same time that the um a lot of debate was going on about other names and about confederate statues and and um uh, you know other statues here in California and 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 all of that was going on and so um you know we were talking about it and once that article came out more articles followed on and we really started to get a sense of how people thought about it from all of the discussion that was occurring in in the you know on social media and elsewhere um we started getting emails just to our general email box um expressing one opinion or another we started getting um phone calls and voicemails um you know expressing one opinion or another and of course there was a lot of uh chatter on uh social media expressing opinions and so we could we could kind of very quickly see what um what people thought about the issue and the questions they had and and uh you know and, and their opinions and so we could it, it sort of framed the issue for us of okay so here's all the broad questions that are out there about this um you know and 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 so if we were you know as we set up to um make our own um inquiry and get a complete idea of uh of of you know where we should go we had all of these questions that had been asked by the public to kind of guide our inquiry. And what, what kind of questions, Ron? Well, you know, the 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 the, the most common um, you know comment that we would get from people who uh, you know had some relation to the place would be, uh, you know, don't change the name. the The place was named that in honor of the Native American women who were there when settlers first came through and uh and so don't don't change it don't you know where it came from and mm-hmm. isn't that dishonoring those women to take the name off of the place and so that was by far the most common comment it's not a derogatory mm-hmm. and offensive word it's an honorific and and you're doing the exact opposite by changing it and so um that ties to one of several origin stories for how the name got put on the valley where our ski area is. And and so that that comes from a, a book from about nineteen sixty where uh where the the author discussed the po- possible origins of, of the name. And uh the author went through I think four different potential sources of that name. And and one of them was this this idea that um that, that the the uh the Washoe tribe had for hundreds of generations um used that area as part of their uh part of the places where they lived their lives every year and, and, and uh, uh you know uh, gathered and hunted their food. And uh, that when uh settlers first came through about eighteen fifty uh on their way to the gold rush that um they came through this valley and saw only 
uh, Native American women and children in the valley. There were no men. And so hmm. they learned that the men were off hunting. And uh, and so it was just this bucolic scene of sort of maidens in the meadow. And, uh, you know, the, the, the place was named Squaw Valley in honor of, of those women. And so... You know that's that's quite a story, and 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 so what we needed to understand was, well, is it true? Um, mm-hmm. Was it really in honor of these women, or did the name come about in some other way? Um, and and so we we set about sort of a very detailed look at that issue of that origin story. Another big piece that people would would comment about was that uh, that the word is just not offensive or derogatory. What do you mean? It just means Native American woman. It doesn't have any mm-hmm. offensive context. You're crazy. And uh, and so that was another line that we really needed to understand. What is the complete view on this word? Is it really debatable? And mm-hmm. uh, and so people would send Internet links with some article about about the word and selectively quote from uh, from that article to try to make their point. And so we needed to understand really a fulsome understanding of the word and is it uh, derogatory or offensive um, and, 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 you know, not just, uh, not just a, a quick look in the dictionary, but, but more than that. So those are really the two key areas that we really focused on. And we found, um, you know, some very um, interesting things about the origin story and we found some very what i think was extremely clear evidence about the derogatory and offensive nature and what were those things can you share them with us well yeah sure Uh, you know when when we look at the origin story it's um it's a nice story Uh, it doesn't have any real um, tie to anything older than about 1960 that we could find but i'm sure it was Mm. sort of oral history that was passed down to that point um, you know, but but when you uh, try to actually understand it, there's um, it, it seems unlikely, right? Um, the if you put yourself in the time of 1850 as a uh, as a wagon train coming through California with settlers encountering Native Americans, you have to really put yourself in 1850, and mm-hmm. um, you know, and in, and in that decade when when this supposedly happened, and you can't um, put uh, today's understandings in uh, in how uh, people acted. When you look at what was going on at that time, it was it was the gold rush, and it was the exact mm-hmm. time that California uh, became a state. And you can find uh, the governors, the first governor of California, um, his state of the state address from the beginning of 1851, and it is uh, a a screed on exterminating Indians and how it is inevitable that uh, that the two races cannot live together and that the only result will be the elimination of Native Americans from California. And the laws that were made at that time to implement that um, actually did, in fact, help implement that. In fact, it was uh, there was a government incentive for uh, killing Indians, and uh, there was uh, a you were allowed as a white person uh, to if you found if you came across an Indian and they were not you know sort of gainfully employed in your view, 
you could just take them and uh, you could go to a justice of the peace and explain that this Indian was essentially a vagrant in your eyes and you found them engaged in vagrancy and that uh, therefore the, the judge should, um, should, should give you that person as an indentured servant. And then you could sell that person to somebody else. And that's they were they were it, it was effectively the the state sanctioned enslavement of Indians in California, and and so that when you think of that context and and you can just really go down that research chain um, and find how much money was spent on on killing uh, Native Americans in California in that decade, um, and how much effort was put into it, you you create you understand then the context. And, um, and and that that really kind of makes you question the notion that um, that somebody was um, honoring those people um, at the same time that the overall view towards those people was to kill them and to push them out of of the land that they had used for so long. And so when that you know when you get into that research, you get that full context and. You know, as an example of, of where that goes, um, I had sent to me by a, a member of the community um, a, an article I didn't find. And, and, I, you know, we did a lot of research. And um, one member of the community, um, you know, uh, uh, did found, found an article from, uh, from a, a paper in, in 1960 that, uh, that was in advance of the Olympics and, and the, the article is called Research Reveals Still Another Version of How Squaw Valley Got Its Name. And it, it, and it, it recounts the author in 1960 recounts how, um, he had found an article from the August 13, 1859 issue of the Iowa Hill Weekly Patriot, which was a local paper in the area. And um, and that article recounts that Squaw Valley was named in the summer of 1852 by members of an immigrant train who uh, camped in the valley before going over the immigrant road. Um, and uh, what it recounts is that included in the group was a young man described as being, quote, wild, reckless and dissolute and, quote, belonging to that class of human beings who think bravery and courage lie in feats of treachery and foolhardiness, and that he had uh, he had vowed to kill the first Indian he came upon along the westward trek, and on the site of Squaw Valley, he saw a squaw whom he brazenly shot through the head. <sighs> and so that's another origin story, and that one actually goes back to 1859. And so when you think of the whole context and you think of where, um, you know, what was going on, you, it really makes you question, is it really an honorific? Was it really named in honor of the women who were there? And then you get this sort of detailed um, factual uh, understanding that dates all the way back to 1859 that clearly it was not. Um, that that makes you understand that origin story so that you can really respond to people and say, yeah, that's a fantasy. Um, and in fact, when you start to look at the the etymology of the word and the history of the word, that fantasy tracks really well with the rest of the evolution of the use of that word. 
Um, and and so that's a whole nother line that I think you know we really dug into to understand where did the word come from and what does it mean and how is it used over time, and so we needed to be able to know that so that we could respond to the people who would say uh, you know hey it's not offensive at all you guys are nuts, and we we developed that understanding as well on etymology and and evolution of the use of the word so that we could respond and say no we're not. Um, it, that's really an offensive word. Can you help us understand, Ron, how the Native American community views the word squaw? Because as you mentioned earlier, a lot of us were taught in school. I came up in the 1980s. I was taught I meant Native American woman. So I think a lot of people get that in their head. I learned it in school. It's true. I, I'm, I'm moving past this. Don't try to tell me that up is down. But, but how does the Native American community view this word? Yeah, well, I can't speak for the Native American community generally, and I'm not sure anybody can, but um, other than the, those Native Americans themselves. But I, I can tell you what we found, which was that uh, the, there's a, there's debate, there's scholarly debate about the origin of the word itself. Uh, probably the most uh, accepted explanation is that it's a morpheme, it's a word part from a that was included in a longer word um, from the Algonquian language, which was uh, spoken by in uh, a particular uh, a particular dialect of the Algonquian language that was spoken by uh, Indians in the uh, Massachusetts area, a particular small part of Massachusetts in the 17th century, and that that morpheme indicated that the word in some way referred to a woman. And so that was taken then by um, by people who had uh, uh, come in, uh, you know, in the late 17th century, um, who'd, who'd come from Europe, and they sort of grabbed onto that. And at some point, you know, and who knows, things happened slowly and over time. There wasn't an internet or, or Facebook, obviously, and so uh, you know that word got used and sort of. Uh, uh, modified to become that word part to become a word that effectively referred to um, a Native American woman. There are other uh, potential sources from other uh, uh, Native American languages um, that are argued over as well, but that seems to be the leading um, uh, understanding of where the word came from. It, it, you know, obviously it somehow proliferated uh, through people just by being shared. Um, and uh, and and then ultimately really grew in its use in the 19th century, and so you know then the question is well did it just mean woman in the 19th century and what what we found from from looking at it was that pretty early on it it took on a, a an offensive or derogatory context um, you know we one of the things we cite in the um, findings that we we have on our website is uh, you know, James Fenimore Cooper's use of the word in 1826. And uh, you can already see in that, um, in how he uses it, that it's, it, he, he takes a, a, cla a group of people, Native American women, applies a word to them and then describes them in, in, in kind of a horrific way. And, um, mm. and then that, that sort of use of the word perpetuates throughout um, you, one of the one of the things you'll see if if you look at our at our findings is that by the end of the 19th century, it was pretty clear to people, and this is you know before people um, had the the sort of all of the lines of of um, 
academia that we have today, but um, you can see a quote in there from a Christian missionary in, in Canada at the end of the 19th century, and he, he he's quoted as saying to another person, in, in the name of everything that's good and everything Christian, why would you refer to one person as a woman and another as a squaw? And that's a very clear indication from that person that he fully understood that when you use that word at somebody, uh, it meant that you were calling them less than. And and that use, you know, went side by side with the the very systematic approach to killing and uh, and, and otherwise harming. Native Americans across the country, you know, essentially destroying their the, the history of how they lived their lives for hundreds and hundreds of generations, and and so once you take that word, it it you see you can find and you can see in our in our findings on our website how it gets used through that whole period, how it becomes a way to dehumanize and call um, Native American women something less than than uh, than other people. And, uh, and and so then you, you come all the way forward into uh, really the, the sort of 1990s where uh, Native American women really for the, the, the first time, somebody starts to listen to them in, um, when they say, look, we don't, we don't want to be called that word. It doesn't mean woman. It's something else. It's a, it's a word that's used against us. And and they didn't. I, I think they're you know from a political standpoint, they just didn't have the voice until that time where anybody listened to them. But by that time, people did start to listen to them and started to take action based on what they were saying. And and so that that notion that it, hey, it just means woman, that really started to get uh, a whole lot of of light shown on it by all of the history about it. And, and they could point to that, and and maybe finally somebody would listen, and that that's in fact what started happening in in the 1990s. So it sounds like you did a ton of research. To what extent did you reach out to the local Native American community and work with them to help you understand this word and to ultimately make the decision to change the name? Yeah, well, so so the you know we we had uh, contact with um, with the Washoe tribe, representative of the Washoe tribe, who's that's the the tribe that that lived on that land and, and is, um, you know, uh, local to the area. And it didn't, you know, it we had very good discussions, but, uh, I, I think the, you know, it, it's not a complicated issue for them. Uh, you know, we, we make it complicated, right? Um, right. Because, because we have so many different constituencies and, and our people are very broad and, and, and they're very passionate about skiing and about the place. But for them, it's not a difficult issue. They they just have a clear view that it, that the words, um, you know, derogatory and and you know you wouldn't go into um, the, the you know the Washoe tribe um, office and say, hey, point me to the squaws. You know that mm, that would yeah. you would you would know that that's <laughs> the wrong thing to do. And and so you know to them, I, I don't think it was ever. Um, you know, it wasn't a debate about whether it was derogatory or not. It was, hey, you know, um, you know, just just confirming that that that's really their feeling, which takes about ten seconds to do. And then it's a discussion about, you know, what what do you what do you think we should do, and and getting their opinion on that. 
more important than that was was you know sort of more just listening and talking with uh, particularly Native American women in the area through you know virtual meeting um, that you know to hear them talk about their encounters with the word over their mm-hmm. lives and over the lives of the women in their families and and that takes a um, that takes an, you know what what might be viewed as sort of an academic issue. And it puts it into reality, which is, you know, to hear um, a woman from uh, uh, down the hill in our county uh, talk about how, um, you know, that word had been hurled at her and uh, how she had encountered it in different ways through her life in a way that was meant to be used to um, to, to, to make the point to her that she was less than, than somebody else. That that was really a I think a more uh, a more important part of of that outreach. Yeah, it, it seems clear cut from the point of view of the Native American community from what you're saying here. But as you say, you have a lot of uh, stakeholders, I guess you could call them, um, with Squaw Valley Alpine Meadows. It, it's a place with an incredible history. It's been in continuous operations since 1949. It's hosted the Olympics on the Squaw side. Widely considered one of the best ski areas in the United States. Epicenter of the free skiing subculture. Because of all that, people are very passionate about the place that transfers to the name. How has the community reaction been to this announcement so far? Yeah, I think it's, you know, I think to be fair, I think it's mixed. And, um, you know, I think that uh, exactly how you explained it is, 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 is spot on. We have our own, you know, wonderful history of the things that have happened um, at, at the ski area over the last uh, seven years since we opened on Thanksgiving Day in 1949, and it's a rich history, and it and it's completely divorced from the sort of ugliness around the word. And so, uh, you know, and, and like you said, our people are incredibly passionate. They, it, in in so many cases, people in our community, um, you know, they they do the most important things in their lives in in some connection to uh, to Squaw Valley ski area. They're passionate skiers. Their grandparents were passionate skiers. They, you know, they may have bought a cabin in the area in 1958 or something like that and had it in their family for generations. And, um, you know, when, when, a when a child is born, the, you know, the most exciting thing that they can do is wait till they get that kid on skis and, and yeah. wait till they teach them to ski in that same place where they learn to ski. And, uh, you know, and, and, and when they get married, they want to have that wedding at our, at our place. And, um, you know, and they want to have birthdays and anniversaries. And when, uh, you know, when a cherished person in their family passes, they want to have the memorial service, uh, you know, at the mountain. That's how important mm. the place wow. is to them. It's deeply entwined in so many people's lives. And so that issue of, of sort of, Asking somebody to clinically separate all of those wonderful feelings and emotions and really life-affirming things from the name, that's easy to say. It's hard to do. And, uh, you know, everybody comes to that, uh, to that point differently. For some people, they can just turn on it like that. They can say, hey, I totally get it. It has nothing to do with the name. It's all about all those feelings. Call it whatever you want. I'm still going to have all those memories. 
And and in fact, those people frequently get to the very next step very quickly, which is, and geez, if it hurts somebody to call it that, I'd like you to change it. Yeah. Um, you know, and and if it if it perpetuates this sort of slur um, without people really knowing what they're saying, change it. Um, but but that's not that it, that's not to say that there's other people who who get there maybe more slowly or maybe just can't in their in whatever stage in their life they're in can't make that separation and that's difficult for them and so they they might say I, it's really hard for me to separate those two things i never thought of it as derogatory and i never used it that way and so why can't those people who think it's derogatory why can't they just get over it it's just a word. Words aren't meant to hurt people, and um, and so for those people, it's 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 more difficult, and they're more likely to be to to have you know feelings that they don't agree with changing it, and so um, so it, it's mixed overall. I, I think you know all of the input we've taken on balance uh, skews positive, and and I think that that's um, important for us. Uh, you know, to understand because I think it takes time for so many people to come around to understanding why we did it. So if we start from a point that that uh, more than a majority understand why and agree, I think over the course of time, um, uh, you know, more people will will um, understand and accept that it was the right thing to do, and, and ultimately. I think we'll, you know, we'll be able to put it behind us and and put that help put that word in in the history book, which is where it belongs, um, and, and not out in front on our sign. Yeah, I have a, a statement here that that encapsulates a lot of that. In preparation for this interview, I reached out to a local who really has his ear to the ground to see how folks were feeling out there. So this is from Mike Rogie, um, an Alpine Meadow skier, and the guy who's resurrecting the Mountain Gazette as owner and editor. And he's been a guest on the podcast. So I'll I'll read this and then you can react to it. Quote, the name change is generally welcomed. However, it should come as no surprise that there is a portion of locals who are at best bummed and at worst pissed off. Like all situations similar to this one, the response is nuanced. I agree with the name change and don't see it as changing with the times, but rather an appropriate first step in honoring the history and tradition of the valley as a sacred place for Native Americans on top of an incredible place for skiing and riding. With that said, I can understand how upsetting this name change will be for the folks who carved out a life here generations ago. The history of big mountain skiing, park skiing, and yes, extreme skiing was written on these slopes. Family legacies were born in this valley. A name gives a sense of place and the name came with a certain level of pride. Change is difficult. I believe both sides deserve empathy. But ultimately, the name change is appropriate, just, and the timing is, frankly, overdue. My hope is Ron and his team, who have done an excellent job navigating this slippery slope, can give the ski area a proper name that can become emblematic of the Native Americans who first laid eyes on the valley, in addition to honoring the rich, culturally significant contributions the mountain has made to the sports of skiing and riding. I don't know if Olympic Valley Ski Resort, which the Squaw Valley Ski Holdings registered as a domain, is that name. This is a chance to set this area on a new path. Give it the name it deserves rather than the name that's easiest. And please, Ron, name the Learn to Ski program, the Shane McConkey Center for Kids Who Can't Ski Good, unquote. What's your reaction, Ron? <laughs> uh, I, think, I think Mike got, got it right. Um, 
yeah, our, we don't um, we we don't have a um, uh, you know we we don't have a, a name picked and and you know we we uh, we're we're victims of of squatters uh, you know URL squatters like everybody else and I, I think yeah. we you know when when we before we had put real thought into uh, you know the the entire process we went and quickly. Um, you know, registered that that URL just to just so somebody else didn't squat it in case it turned out to be something that we wanted to do. And um, you know, I, I think as we've you know as we got beyond that initial look and really developed a clear plan as to how to go about this issue. First, dealing with that what we've been talking about the determination of whether to change the name. Um, that then we would engage in a, another separate effort to what is that new name. And, and, and the, what you just laid out is it, it gives you a sense of the difficulty of the task of finding mm-hmm. that um, what is that right word that does um, the right honor for our people and the place and the history. And um, that that's going to be no small challenge. And so um, I, I think, you know, there's that that's something that people really uh, gravitate to very quickly. Well, it's already Olympic Valley. It's been Olympic Valley since 1960. Why don't you just call it Olympic Valley? And, um, you know, in some combination of that Olympic Valley Alpine Meadows or Olympic Valley ski area or, or whatever it is. And, and I think the, um, I, I think the answer to that is, um, the places, you know, the Olympics are, are obviously an incredibly important part of our history, um, and, and put us on the map for good reason. But um, as was just described, our history is about so much more than that. And so uh, focusing on that is a pretty narrow focus. Um, and so it, it's an important part of our history, but, but probably not the, the sum total of, of the place. How about naming the ski center after Shane? Uh, yeah, <laughs> pretty cool <laughs> idea for kids who can't ski good. Um, I'll, be, I'll be enrolling in it uh, this season. Uh, so we're in this gray period now in which you've acknowledged that the name is a relic and no longer suitable for your brand, but you're stuck through it with this coming winter. How do you navigate this transition period? Yeah, well, it, it's, um, you know, it, it, it we're going to navigate it exactly how we said we would, which is, um, you know, we're going to, we're going to not going to have some sort of short term temporary name or and we're not going to do a contest or some kind of gimmick like that. Um, you know, pe- lots of people have sent us feedback on what they think it should be uh but we're going to run a process on it we're going to be deliberate about it and um and really uh you know work a plan to come up with a good name so in the meantime our our name's still our name and uh you know and i i, I this isn't about gotcha and it's not about trying to find inconsistencies and you know therefore everything's wrong or you know if it's so bad how come you don't change it right away um, we've had this discussion with, uh, you know, with with representatives of the tribe and, and other uh, Native Americans in the area. The, the place has been named in one way or another Squaw Valley since the 1850s, and um, and and they want to see it changed. And so we, you know, we but but the the the, the work to go about changing it is is huge. I mean, first we we've got to have uh, the right process that gets us to a good name. That's going to take months, and 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 we've got a lot of work to do to get there. And then once we decide what that is, it's an amazing amount of work to actually execute on that. 
And so, um, you know, I think uh, based on my discussions, I think that's understood from uh, from the people who take the most offense at the word that uh, it's going to take a little time for it to come down. But when you think of, uh, you know, 170 years um, having a little bit longer when you know that there's a commitment to change it, that that that's meaningful. And so I think they appreciate that and are, and, and, um, are willing to give us the space to handle the place with the respect that it de- deserves. I don't think that the, um, that the, the Native Americans who I have talked to, um, you know, they're not, uh, they're not holding it against us that we're going to take some time here. They understand fully the history of the place. And, and so they, they want, I think, us to, um, to do right by it as well and, and understand that, that, that that's going to take some time. So that's the work we're going to go through. And, and you know, of course, COVID puts um, additional complication on it. Uh, you know, we've had to shut our business down early. We obviously lost a ton of money um, getting there. And, um, and now, you know, we've got a bunch of work to do to be able to uh, offer a ski season to our people um, this coming year where COVID's still present and we're going to have all kinds of um, things that we're going to have to do differently to accommodate that. So we've got a lot on our plate and, um, and, and so that time, it'll take time to get there. And, and quite frankly, doing a name change at a place like Squaw Valley where, uh, you know, our name is everywhere. If, if you've been to the resort, you know, right. um, we put it on everything. And um, and so all of that will need to be changed. And doing that midwinter um, is really not feasible, uh, you know, when you're dealing with everything that Mother Nature has to throw with you in, in a place that, you know, routinely gets 40 feet of snow in a season. Um, it, it's just not executable. So the timing works out well. It gives us a little bit of space um, to get to a new name, and then it, it gives us the space to plan uh all of the work that will need to be done to execute the, the the name change next summer. So you've committed to it. The name will be retired. You know, Ron, one thing we've seen as Confederate statues and other monuments have come down across the country, we're seeing them move into places like museums, right, where they can be placed in their proper historical context and in, in, in interpreted in a way that explains you know, what they were there for, why it was taken down. Is there a way to do something similar with the Squaw Valley name, where you honor the history of the place, you tell the story of what the name was, and move on to why it was time to change it. Yes, and I think that that happens no matter what, and I think that you know we'll have some some role in that as well. So you know the 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 move to change uh, um, Squaw Place names across North America is is very similar to the move to you know de-emphasize Confederate statues it it's it's aiming at something that uh you know that that people who uh realize look that that's not something we should be venerating um and and so the 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 sort of trope that's commonly thrown at that effort is well you're erasing history and mm-hmm. and it's 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 completely the opposite of that um you know what what we did in order to understand what the right um decision to make uh, would be was we relied on history and we took we we took great effort to understand the history 
in as, as whole and fulsome a way as we could. And and what history does for us is it shines a light on the issue. And and that's what happened here. We've got tons of history and it's shining a spotlight on that word. And it's telling us that that word is not what we think it is. It's not being used the way we think. And and we don't, you know, look, our 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 the founders of our of our ski areas, Alex Alex Cushing and and the Polson family, there's no doubt in my mind that you know offending Native Americans was the furthest thing from their mind right. when they thought about you know um, the beautiful place that they had moved to and envisioned and built a ski area and that's that's not where they were going, um, but you know history shines that light on it uh, on on the word for us now and so we have to take. We, we have to not apply our, our, our standards to yesterday's actions. We have to apply our standards to today's actions, to our actions. And, and that's, that's the task that's on us, is take our standards today and our morals and apply them to our actions today. And so um, history is incredibly important to that because it, it, it explains why we've done what we've done. And so when you see places change their name, the old name is retired to the history books, and that's where it belongs. And again, retired to the history books is the complete opposite of erasing history. Once mm-hmm. it's in the history books, then you can understand it. You can understand um, how the name got applied to the place and how it got used over the years and why it was changed. And that ends up when you look at um, places that used to have Squaw in their place name and and have uh, removed them. Uh, you know, do a Wikipedia search on one of those places. There's seven states that have made it illegal to have Squaw in a public place name. Oh, wow. and, and so that, you know, you can find those places. And, and if they're of enough, um, you know, interest, they typically have a Wikipedia page. And the Wikipedia page will say the place is formerly known as this. And then it was changed mm-hmm. because of this. And, mm-hmm. and that um, understanding is there. For posterity to, uh, to 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 have us understand why that happened, um, but that's very different than having it out front and um, having it be the name which you then need to put an asterisk on and say we don't mean to use this offensively. And for a complete history on you know that that doesn't work, right? It's got to go into the history books, and and it can be understood and studied from there. And there's there's no way that we can't have some kind of uh, of understanding of that in relation to our name change, um, it would be incredibly confusing not to have that discussion and and not to have that acknowledgement of history. Well, lots to do. Uh, well, Ron, we're a little over time here, but I can't let you go without getting an update on the Squaw Alpine Interconnect. Yeah, the 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 base to base gondola. So um, we're uh, incredibly exciting project for us. We've been um, really uh, working diligently. Um, through this summer, through all of the issues we have um, on on getting the the next stage of planning work done, it's uh, you know it's completely approved, um, and uh, we have uh, uh, you know the, the the litigation that was initially filed against it was was quickly settled um, on. I think um, you know we there, there's there's you can find uh, press releases about that. We reached I, I think a, a very good agreement with um, with the group that had opposed it, and um, and we're clear to go. 
And so um, we are Maybe. actively working on the planning. And um, uh, I, I'm not sure um, exactly when we'll execute, but uh, I can tell you we work on it every day. Glad to hear it. Well, I'm sure you're very busy getting ready for the ski season. I know it's going to be a weird one. I cannot thank you enough for your time today, Ron. Hey, thank you. And it, it may be a little bit weird, but um, it's going to be skiing. And so all the stuff that goes on around it, um, you know, I think all of us have had to change how we um, how we approach the things that we do in our lives. Um, and so there's no doubt going to be some of those um, some of those changes. But um, skiing is going to be skiing. And when there's snow on the ground, we're uh, we're going to do everything we can to get you down the hill. And uh, you're going to have that. Uh, that same feeling you've always had. Uh, lift lines may be a little different. Buying food may be a little different, but uh, skiing is going to live through this, and um, we all can't wait to uh, to click in and 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 get sliding down the hill. Well, I hope you have another monster year, and they're skiing a Fourth of July in Tahoe again this year. Me too. I never complain about too much snow. <laughs> all right, Ron. Thank you so much. Take care. All right. Take care. Ron Cohen, President and Chief Operating Officer of Squaw Valley Alpine Meadows. What did you think about that? Did you come out of that with a different perspective? Did it harden your viewpoint one way or another? Let me know on Facebook or Twitter. Search for the Storm Skiing Journal. Follow me while you're there. Better yet, subscribe to the free Storm Skiing newsletter at skiing.substack.com. We have an awesome podcast lineup planned for you this fall. I've got leaders from Sugarloaf, Stratton, Cannon, JP, Sugarbush, Saddleback, Escape, and Hermitage Club all lined up. I'm working on a few more too. And I've got something a little different for you next week. A little off-brand, but very fun. Keeping the Northeast focused, but that was a really fun diversion to the West. Thank you very much for that, Ron. And thank you all for listening. Stay well, stay safe. I'm Stuart Winchester. Talk to you again very soon. The Storm Skiing Podcast is a Quicksilver Films production.